a lot of times we tend to shy away from, again, conversations with people who have differing viewpoints because we just assume that they're bad people because they don't agree with us or, or like, how dare you as a white man feel discriminated against? Like, come on, you know, we have this perspective that doesn't really consider the full person and doesn't open up a conversation are you looking to pursue excellence and take your success to the next level? You're in the right place. Welcome to Excellence Mindset with your host, Ryan James Miller. All right. Well, welcome everybody to another episode of the Excellence Mindset podcast. And uh, by the time you get to this episode, I will have been pumping it up for quite a while. Uh, I am uh, really excited about the guest that I'm actually looking at at the under at the on the other end of the screen, which is pretty unique for me. Uh, as you know, most of the time, uh, these are delivered in audio fashion only. And today, um, we decided to do uh, video format, and so you're going to get this uh, by traditional format and audio, but also video and uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, this conversation today for a whole host of reasons, and it's actually changed a little bit from the first time that uh, I, I reached out to this uh, woman. And so uh, let me just share a little bit about what happened. So uh, I read this book called Growing Influence, and it's kind of funny because I'm not actually sure how I was recommended the book. I think that it came by way of an Amazon recommendation, but I'm not positive. And I remember... Uh, being a little bit hesitant to read in the beginning because I hadn't heard of it and nobody that I knew had read it or recommended it. And I decided to give it a crack anyway. I'd been doing a lot of study on leadership and influence and obviously just in the, in the coaching and consulting world that comes up so often. And so I thought that I would just give it a shot. And before long, actually, I listened to it. And before long, I was just so deeply engaged by the way this book was written. The story was fantastic, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. And uh, it, it was very practical in what I was learning. Uh, but, but it just, it had me and it had really sucked me in. And so I was getting ex more and more excited as I'm reading through and I'm learning so much. And I get to the end of the book and I remember that at the end, there was an interview with the authors. And I went, hmm, I actually don't even recall the front cover of the book and the fact that there was more than one author. And so um, I listened and uh, one of the two authors was the woman that I have a fantastic opportunity to interview today. And that's Stacy Ennis. And I didn't stop there though. I wanted to dig a little bit further into who she was. And so I Googled her like every single one of us does and we want to learn more about somebody. And I came across a TED talk that she had done on how to raise brave kids. And so I decided that I was going to listen to the TED talk because if anybody gets on the TED stage, they're probably worth listening to. And so I listened to her TED talk and I just loved everything she had to say about raising young children and the bravery that is needed in society today, but not just for kids, but also for adults. And so then I was just more excited and interested. And I thought, oh my gosh, if I can get her on the podcast, I am just going to just be in love with this idea. So I crafted this LinkedIn message and I sent it to her and uh, I had reached out to connect first and then I sent it to her and I just, I didn't expect anything back. And she was gracious enough to respond, to set up a phone call. And so I have the opportunity now to interview her. And so beyond just being an author of which she is very well accomplished and has written many and contributed to many, many books and been on the TED stage, but I know that she's also uh, was the executive editor of a magazine that Sam's Club distributed. And I think that she actually 
actually wrote a piece on Oprah and she's a business consultant and a coach and she travels all around the world. And actually she's coming to us today from Thailand. And so that's super exciting. And so that was a huge introduction to Stacy Ennis. So Stacy, <laughs> welcome to the Excellence Mindset Podcast. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Ryan. I'm really, really excited to be here. I actually don't think that I've ever taken that long to, inter- <laughs> to introduce somebody. And yet hopefully I did the beginning at least of this conversation, conversation justice because um, again, like I told you offline when we spoke before, I just so appreciate the things that you've written about and spoken about and the opportunity to have a conversation with you and then have it recorded is just so fantastic. So really thank you for your time and, uh, and just giving us some of uh, what's going to be a lot of wisdom today, I'm sure. Yeah, well, thanks for having me today. I'm excited to get to talk with you and share with your audience. And yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting conversation. It is, especially because when, again, when I approached you, I thought, man, like, you know, we could talk about influence and I think we're going to talk about that a little bit today. And then I said, mm, I think that, you know, we could talk about this, uh, uh, this topic of uh, raising brave children. I've got a couple of young girls myself and I thought, wow, that could be so great. And then we started talking and it just, it, it went even farther than that. So um, rewinding a little bit, because I think it'll be helpful for us to kind of at least set the, the tone for what we hope everybody's going to hear today. So you wrote this book, uh, 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 contributed to and, and co-wrote a book. And so what, what was behind the desire to write a book on influence to begin with? Like what, I, I feel like there's so many out there and, you know, we could say they're a dime a dozen in a sense. And so what was it about this specific book, this topic, this idea that really drove you to want to contribute and put your name to something like this? Well, so first of all, I have to give so much credit to Ron Price, the co-author on the book. Um, Ron and I have worked together for quite a long time. I want to say maybe seven or eight years over a variety of projects over the years. Um, And Ron is one of those, you know, we all have those people in our life that we just really deeply, deeply admire and respect. Um, And he's one of those people. And so Ron actually approached me a few years ago and asked if I'd be interested in working on a book with him. And he sent me audio of a talk that he did. And um, in in true true me fashion, I took it out to the foothills and listened to it. I went on a hike. Um, And I remember I was I was so I was going on this hike. This was in Boise, where I'm from, Boise, Idaho, which is a lovely place. Um, And I I was in the foothills, and the weather was beautiful and it was a sunny day and I was walking along this kind of trail that has a nice sweeping view of the city and um, I just remember walking along this trail and it was so peaceful and surrounded by nature and then getting done and having heard this really impactful talk that he shared with me and immediately when I got back to my computer I wrote him back and I said yes we're yes absolutely let's let's do this and um, the talk that he sent me was around the three dimensions of leadership Um, and influence uh, is core to those. But the talk that really spurred the book was, was the three dimensions of leadership. Mm -hmm. And now Ron is a few decades older than me. He um, used to be president of a global company 
um, he has had a different life experience than me in a lot of ways. Uh, however, we share a lot, we have a lot of overlapping values and overlapping drive and um, desire to, to make the world better. We both really deeply desire that. And so we were able to bring our two perspectives um, in a way that I, I, neither of us could have written this book on our own. It would have been impossible um, to be able to tell the story of these two characters. So we have an older retired CEO named, named David and a younger 30 something. Um, in fact, I, I think she's 30 um, Emily who's working in technology. And so of course we both got to bring our different perspectives to this book. Um, but originally we actually had planned to write it like a traditional business book and we had it all outlined, ready to go. And we're truly just about to get started on that book. And then Ron came in and said, okay, I have an idea. I think we should do it as fiction. And so then we, we weaved this, this story together and, and created it. Um, and I mean, he, he was really the catalyst for the storyline and um, then we work together to create the book as mm. it lives today. Yeah, I mean, I, I, again, I, I could go on and on about you know so many of the great principles that that I that I learned and took away from it. And I've already bought the book for quite a few people now and and given copies out. I just think it's fantastic. I'm actually going to uh, be giving out some more uh, kind of around this podcast just because I think it'll bring some a really good awareness and relevancy to what we're talking about. Um, but what I, but uh, what I love that, and again, uh, we had talked about this previously was this, the, the story format, right? I think that, um, the, in business, it's really hard sometimes to get deeply engaged into a book when all you're doing is throwing a bunch of facts and figures at me, uh, particularly as it relates to something as emotional as influence and leadership. And so I thought you guys just did such a wonderful job of that. And, 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 and along the way, it just kept pulling me farther and farther into wanting to learn and grow. So was that part of the hope in, in writing that format was to, was to engage somebody in that way? Like, is that, is that typically what happens when you're, when you're trying to create something like that? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that was exactly our, our goal. And I, I think also for us, because both of us have worked on a lot of books and a lot of nonfiction projects over the years. And um, this was so such a meaningful experience to be able to create through story and through characters that I felt like, I feel like are my friends. I feel like I know them um, after, after writing this book. Um, but we, we know, I mean, research tells us that people remember stories, right? You go, if you go and listen to a talk and it's an hour long and there's one short story in that that really connected for you, you're going to remember that. You're probably not going to remember anything else. And so Ron and I have both seen the power of storytelling um, really core to a lot of what I do is, is about storytelling. And so we wanted to use something that, would be engaging and meaningful. And I think story has a way of transforming people more than almost anything else. So we wanted to create something that would actually create change, hopefully internal shifts within people, um, or at least clarify for them and reveal some things that 
maybe they knew, but they did, couldn't really put language to mm. um, just the, the, the three dimensions of leadership. I think a lot of people, I know a lot of people who've read it, they think, Oh, that makes sense when you put it that way. Um, but if we had just laid it out in like a flow chart or, you know, a diagram or something um, surrounded by some statistics, I don't think that would have clicked the way it did when it's connected to Emily's experience in the workplace and David's experience in his former profession and, you know, their relationship together. Yep. Yeah. So I'm, uh, you know, I, I start reading and I am super excited about what I'm reading as I'm getting going. And then mm -hmm. it doesn't take long for me as a young Caucasian male uh, to, I don't know, I, I guess I could say the word triggered a little bit, right? Or, or to be at least disrupted um, okay. by, by what I'm reading. So I, I'm reading and all of a sudden uh, we hear uh, that Emily is very frustrated by the fact that she's not getting a promotion at work, that she's being overlooked uh, for an opportunity. And she has a deep belief that that is the result of her being a woman and a mom to a child. And, uh, and that story will, will go on and she'll, she'll see more evidence for that. And so when I read something like that, it's so hard for me to read for a lot of reasons. Like uh, maybe some of the obvious ones that, that people that will listen to this and know me will know that it's not that I immediately hear a woman talk about uh, not getting the same opportunities and I just like shun that. It, it's not that at all. But I feel like probably now more than ever in society, um, we were pointing out so many different ways in which we are being held back from what's in front of us when a lot of times we are using those things as excuses to not just work hard and learn and grow. And so while I think you guys did a wonderful job of, of writing a story and creating the story that does not make that the main point, like, yes, that's probable and possible, but there's also all these other things. And so that, that dynamic works so well. But was there intention in inserting that challenge into the story uh, to, to create, I don't know, the, kind of the same feeling that I felt? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, we wanted to challenge people. We wanted something. So we spent a lot of time going around and around on different scenarios that could work to really communicate the lessons and, and insights from the book. And um, now one note I think is important is that we actually started, we, I think we had a draft finished of this book before a lot of the media storm and a lot of the um, accusations were revealed. The Me Too movement had not happened. Um, and so all that stuff occurred after we had already drafted the book. And um, so it was actually really validating for us to um, to see that we had picked up on something that was important to people. Um, and whether I mean everyone has their own perspectives of of that, so i don't I don't think we that needs to be the focus. What was important to us was telling a real story. Mm -hmm. And so we chose a couple of things. One, we chose not to have it be uh, sexually driven. So we decided that, this wasn't going to be a harassment case. It wasn't going to be 
um, without ignoring that that exists. We wanted it to be something that was very clearly happening Mm -hmm. um, and something that most women could read and really relate to and hopefully most men could read and maybe be able to transcend um, a perspective of this doesn't happen mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and really be able to think about what it would be like to be in that situation. Now, I actually think in a lot of cases, well, Ron and I had, we talked about this a lot. We feel that Emily's situation, while she is being discriminated against for her gender and her motherhood, there, you could, the way that we told this story, we tried to tell this story, you could insert almost any character in almost any situation. Mm-hmm. So we didn't want the, the gender bias to completely sweep aside all of the other things that matter in the book, but we wanted to give a real situation. Now, the thing about Emily, uh, you might remember, is that she really like pushed that aside for a while. She didn't, she didn't go there immediately. She wanted to believe that it was something else. And she looked for other causes that, that could be the reason behind this, but it was undeniable. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and, and yet it was something that she, in, other than quitting her job um, or uh, calling out her boss and potentially in, in their industry and in the situation in the book that would not have worked, she had to find a solution that she had, that she had to find influence in spite of her situation. Um, and that is what we really wanted people to take from it. Um, and to, to be able to take Emily's situation, whether you're a white male or, you know, an older um, woman, you know, of color or whatever you are, whatever your background, whatever your life situation, that you can take her experience and be able to apply that to your own life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I get to say things like this because I'm the host and people can be mad at me. You may not, um, you may not, you may not want to say them. Um, so, I mean, I think at this point in society, it's absolutely ignorant to believe that things like that don't happen. And I, I think that's an unfortunate thing in society today is we absolutely are, are running into extremely ignorant people. Um, maybe it's because they are, they're just, oblivious. And I guess that's possible. Um, But I think so much of it is this willful ignorance to deny the fact that it's happening, probably because these people are somehow complicit in the situation, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, they they don't want to address it because they don't want to give up um, their own position, their own opportunity, their own authority, or maybe because uh, they have participated in holding somebody back as the result of their gender or their color or their sexuality, right? Like this, the reality is like, it's happening. And so it's out there. It's so apparent. I mean, you're writing a story, so you have the benefit to to write it as you want it. And I think you guys did do a fantastic job of of being. I'll use the word fair, uh, in in kind of walking both you know both lines. Which one is like there is a real gender bias uh, at hand here, and it needs to be addressed. Uh, which you did a wonderful job of even telling you know uh, how how that was approached and worked through. Uh, so I appreciated that. And at the same time, you said, okay, even while that's present, you you need to kind of figure out where you're coming up short, where you're struggling. Um, but 
let's go a little bit deeper than that because I'm interested to hear a little bit more of your feedback because I know that you also lead um, uh, uh, quite a few uh, women's groups, uh, next level, I forgot the name already. Yeah, I have a, a women's leadership training company called Next Level Women Leaders. Next mm -hmm. Le Level Women Leaders. So, mm -hmm. so you're spending a lot of time in this area, which means that it's extremely important to you. And so... <clears throat> Uh, as you're stepping through this, how are how are you addressing this issue in, in in the reality of the world that we live in, and what are some of the struggles that you you still see being faced here? Well, so a couple of things that I think are important. Um, so. Uh, the company that I mentioned, Next Level Women Leaders, I co-founded with three really incredible women, and what we've done through that company. Um, and through our trainings, so we do both in-company private trainings and also we do public trainings. So it's a, a bunch of industries, which you don't normally see, um, coming together for two days. And um, so what we, what we have created and has been really amazing, it's been really, I'm deeply proud of what we have created through Next Level, um, is a space for women to come together and to grow. Um, we saw... So what was happening is the, the four of us um, were kind of passing clients around. So they work with me or Abby, my other um, co-founder. Um, oftentimes we'd kind of be the starting point and then we would send them to Nancy. So Abby does leadership consulting um, and training and Nancy does public speaking coaching and then Laura does wardrobe style and so we would kind of pass these people around and um, because we, they needed all of us and we were seeing the same challenge with actually our men too but um, we could talk about that as well because I think this is kind of interesting <laughs> women were more likely to actually take the steps to, um, to to deal with this gap that we saw which was really aligning who they are on the inside with how they show up on the outside. Mm. Um, and so through that training, we're creating a space for women to anchor in their values, define a vision for their life and leadership, um, tell their story, uh, and that's my, my portion of it, um, train on how to give a good talk and how to show up with presence. So just that kind of walking in the door presence and speaking presence, and then how to, how to dress because we don't have a lot of role models on what it looks like to show up as a woman leader. It's like, there just aren't that many examples. So that's one piece of it. The other piece of what we've tried to do is, as a group, and also Ron and I um, have been beginning to, to put together trainings around is um, creating space for discussion and to have open conversations at Next Level, we were invited to Intuit's um, global conference, QuickBooks Connect, wow. and we delivered a, a breakfast. It was like a meetup and um, invited men and women, and we passed out these, these topics for them to talk about in small groups and then present to the larger group. And we had three men come. We were really excited about having three men there because that's actually awesome. We yeah. weren't sure if any would come. And um, we had people from all over the world because it's a global conference and to just get to have a converse, like real conversation that um, people of different political persuasions and um, from different countries and from different economic backgrounds and 
different genders and different sexual orientation to be able to come together and just have a conversation, I think is one of the biggest catalysts for change. Mm. Um, and then on the company side, Ron and I, like, as I mentioned, are beginning to put together some workshops and trainings. So around unconscious bias, um, paired with the kind of higher level leadership evolution um, and advancement and growth. So it's, it's a lot of things, but I think at the core of it is we don't want to segment, but we also need to create a space because women have not, I mean, you can just look at the data. Women have not had the same opportunities. People of color have not had the same opportunities. And it's not just around skills. It's not just around getting college degrees and training to be a manager and learning how to be a leader. That's all super important. But a lot of it actually has to do with what's inside of me and what I see as an example out there and how I'm kind of bridging that gap between what I know I can bring to the world and what the world believes I can bring to it. And so that's part of creating that space um, to, to, to align internally and externally. That's, that's that, that gap that I think women, and I can't speak as a person of color, but I try to be empathetic and try to understand. But I think any group of people who have not had opportunities, there are twofold challenges segmenting completely is not i don't think the answer but we also need to have space over here so the conversation and then on the other side the people in power which is men and really if you if you mine into the data white men they need to to acknowledge that this is a problem as you mentioned and they need to be advocates and be willing to invite a woman to lunch to talk about her career plans and make sure she's included in the, you know, drinks with the client after work and ask her for her input in a meeting. And, and if she, if she does go to talk, not talk over her because that happens a lot. So there's, there's a lot at play, but I don't think that being completely like, I don't think that dividing is going to get us anywhere. Good Lord. You said about 15 things there that I was trying to keep track of because there were so many great things there that, that, that I want, that I want to hear more about. So, okay. So let me try and and put these into some sort of order. So when we start talking about this, one of the things that immediately comes to my, uh, to my mind, because I hear this response a lot and it, it definitely uh, comes from males uh, when we're talking about the, the gender bias uh, that we see in gender inequality, which I'm 100% in agreement with. It's, it, it's happening. Um, and then I hear this from white males pre- predominantly when we're talking uh, issues of race. And that is, and, and I can, I hate to say this because gosh, this just opens up a can of worms, but like I can start to see the possibility though. I think it's extreme, but what I hear a lot of times in the narrative from the other side is, is we're starting to see a swing back into a place where now I, and this is not I Ryan talking, this is I a generalization. I as a white male Am, am being passed over for opportunities because uh, they are, you know, a, an organization is trying to, um, 
gosh, get with the times, or it is trying to make a better effort for gender equality in the workplace. And so maybe they are uh, looking more at women than they are uh, at men because they want to, and, and in a very good way, they want to fulfill um, you know, that, that desire for equality. Um, so do you hear that? And if you do, like, how do you address that? Because I think that, again, it's a little bit unrealistic. I think it's a little bit extreme and it's way far out there. We haven't got anywhere near there. But do you hear that as being pushback from people when you're out talking about that? Sure. Yeah. And I think it's a fear-based response, right? Um, if you look at the numbers, that's not, not necessarily accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, whether in their situational, you know, in their company, I don't know whether you know, whether or not that's happening. But usually when I hear that, I would just encourage um, any, any white male who's feeling that way to go and look at a conference lineup um, of speakers and go and look at an about us page of a company. Or um, if you, if you can kind of piece together an org chart from your own company, um, oftentimes what you're going to see is a lot of people that look very much the same. And Mm -hmm. um, I think that's very revealing. So if you, if perhaps there is a situation where um, you're feeling like you're getting passed over um, because you're not in the minority, I don't know. I don't know if that's happening on a case-by-case basis. I do think that um, we're figuring things out as a culture, uh, you know, as a, as a country, I guess, and um, that in order to have change, companies have to be very intentional about encouraging diversity Mm -hmm. and they have to make it initiatives and it has to be something that is driven from the sea level and it has to be something that they are actively seeking resumes from people of color and women Um, because otherwise things aren't going to change. It it has to be something that is, is intentionally created and I don't think we're going to get it right immediately. And there probably are going to be some casualties along the way. But what I would suggest to any, any man that's feeling that way, um, I don't want to invalidate your feelings because I don't, I don't know what you're going through. Um, and I don't think that it's, it's, it's fair or helpful to say, well, you're, you, you white men have suppressed us for, you know, hundreds of years. So there, you know, but, but I do think, um, I do think if you if you do look back into history and consider the plight of women and people of color, that perhaps shifting that perspective and considering that it's a real win and really wonderful to see this deeper equality and to see more people getting more opportunities. Um, I think one of the things that we talk about in Growing Influence is the the things great liter- great leaders do. Mm. And the third, the third thing that great leaders do that David um, shares with Emily is they transcend, they transcend self-interest and self-promotion. And to be a great leader, um, I think that it has to, you have to move beyond what's in it, what's in it for me and how am I being, being impacted and think about the broader humanity and think about the great efforts that we're making and to support change even if at times it might feel like it's not 100% in your favor, well, maybe you can work with that and, and help lend insight. But I think that you have to have a different mindset going into it than I'm getting passed over. And I think Emily's example is, is a good one. She, she, that's where I, I feel like you could potentially take 
a white male that's feeling that way and insert them into Emily's situation and growing influence and switch the problem. And I actually think that that would be a great example of, you know, it's not exactly the same, but a lot of the things that she does to kind of deal with that, um, I think could be applied to that situation as well. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that, that's totally fair. Um, yeah, so I actually do, I do respond uh, the way in which you said you don't have to, but uh, I, I do respond uh, to a lot of white males when I hear these arguments is, I hate to say it, but it, it, you just kind of have to deal with the fact that it's, it's due. And I don't mean that it's necessarily due to you as an individual, but, you know, two things. First of all, for, for hundreds of years, if not thousands of years in our culture, we have been, um, you know, there have been a, a dominant race uh, of people and a dominant gender, gender of people that have been oppressing other people. And mm-hmm. so by way of just majority, you, you were in that majority and so now you just have to deal with some of the repercussions because all along, if you would have been part of the population that was riding that quote unquote positive wave for yourself, I wouldn't have heard you complaining then, right? Like that, that's yeah. a lot of the problem is like when, 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 when opportunity starts to get taken from us, when, um, when we get taxed more than maybe we prefer, or when some um, opportunity or right gets taken away from us, then we start screaming, right? Because, yeah. because it affects us as individuals. But when, for, the, for the most part, when we look out into society and we see that like, the, the masses are being affected, as long as it doesn't mess with us, typically we're pretty quiet about it, right? It's like such a shame to see that like we, we aren't really willing to put ourselves into other people's shoes um, unless, it, you know, unless it benefits us, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think when you start to have those rights taken away a little or you start to notice, oh, hey, I'm not automatically getting this thing that I want. What's that about? Um, then you start to notice it. There's, you know, I... I had this, this is a, this is a little tangential, but it, I will connect it. I promise. Um, my husband went, uh, to Malaysia for a day, um, for a visa. We, we're in Thailand. You have to leave every so often for your visa. And, um, he got there at like midnight and, um, into Penang, which is an Island in Malaysia. And he got a taxi at the airport with no planning and no vetting or anything. Now for me, I was just, I was in China a few months ago And, um, I had this very kind of a little bit scary taxi experience because I did not plan ahead of time. And I thought I was going to have a heart attack in this cab because (laughs) it was like taking me off course and the guy didn't speak any English and it was nighttime. And my husband was telling me, oh yeah, I got a taxi. And then I went and I walked around and got some curry on the street (laughs) at like one in the morning. And I was like, that is so unfair, but good for you. But (laughs) I wish I could just show up in Malaysia and just like take a cab. Actually, he took a grab taxi and, and then I could get to my hotel and walk around at night by myself and go get curry. That sounds really, really nice. And he was like, wait, what do you mean? I can't do that. I'd probably get, I'd probably get attacked. Um, or maybe not, but I would be terrified the whole time because it's a very real possibility. And he hadn't even considered that. And, and he's a very empathetic guy, um, and very in touch, I think with, with women's issues, but he was like, huh, that's, 
you, you can't do that. That's interesting. I'd never thought about that. So it's like these little things, I think as a, as a man and especially a white man that you, it's like daily life, it's in the workplace and it is something that you constantly get what you want most of the time. And then, and you're, and you can kind of do things that you want to do when you want to do it without a whole lot of fear or um, concern. And, and when those little things are taken away and suddenly you don't have what you want and it's not given to you when you think it should be given to you and it's given to somebody else. And that's a little jarring. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's, it's just interesting. I think the perspectives that we all have in our individual experiences and um, that's why conversations matter. That's why we have to, that's why this conversation matters. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, and, and I appreciate, you know, what you sharing that story about him, because I think that a lot of times, um, you know, uh, again, th- there's a lot of negativity there. There's a lot of challenge around this issue. We do have uh, quite a few people that are pushing back and fighting against, but we do have a lot of good people that, that just aren't completely aware. Right. I mean, again, um, it, it's hard for me sometimes to put myself into somebody else's shoes if I haven't walked in those shoes. And so yeah. I do try to make a concerted effort um, for a lot of reasons. You know, I, I, I want to, to care and be considerate. I want to I care because I have two young daughters that I'm trying to raise and I want them, I, you know what, like I want them to have equal opportunity, but more than that, and there is something for me that is more important, and this goes back to something else that you said, I want them to believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that they were created equally with as much value and as much worth as anybody else in this world. And like, you know, for us as a family, that's a deep seated belief that we have, right? That God has created everybody equally. There is no difference between any one of us internally in terms of our value and our worth. And, and I want that for them. And the unfortunate thing is, is because of so many of these exter- external factors, they're being brought up to believe that they aren't. Mm-hmm. They don't have that same worth, that they don't have that same value. And then as you said, like, you know, there, there aren't great examples, all the, like their mother is a great example for them. But out in society, there are not a lot of great examples of what it means to be a strong, confident woman that, that can be comfortable in her own skin and be proud of who she's been created to be and not to let society dictate um, her value or her worth based upon what she looks like or the way she speaks or the job that she takes or doesn't take. You know, that, I mean, it's just, it's hard. It's really, really hard. And so I just, I'm trying to be as empathetic as possible to that. And yet at the same time, I'm just, I'm, I'm ignorant sometimes, right? It's just, it's hard to not be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it's absolutely. I, all of that connects for me too. Even the other night, um, it was right before bedtime. My daughter had just taken a shower. Her hair was all wet and I was brushing it for her. And she looked at me and she said, mommy, is there a woman president? Has there ever been a woman president? And I, I had to really think about how, I mean, I know I'm going to tell her the truth, but how do I, how do I respond to that? So I just said, not yet, honey, but, but soon, someday. And, um, and then she said, well, well, I want to be the first woman president, you know? And so it's, it's figuring out how to navigate the reality with 
bringing up these kids who are, um, well, both. So I have a boy and a girl. And um, so bringing up my daughter to really fiercely believe in her worth Mm. and then bringing up my son also to fiercely believe in his worth. Um, but also to fiercely defend the worth of other people because he is a privileged white male. I mean, he is. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we've, we've gone about trying to do that a little differently, I think, being out in the world and trying to expose them to um, more of kind of what's out there and different people in different places. Um, But it's, it's a hard challenge as a parent to, battle the reality with the reality you want for your children you know yeah yeah i mean you know again i think that challenge all lies within us you know i think that Mm -hmm. until we have a deep-seated belief in that for ourselves i think it's really hard to ever believe that about anybody else right and you will you will typically notice that you know it's it's kind of like the silly simple way to say it but you know, typically the people that are lashing out are just, they, they don't have a great life. Like I, I talk to my kids about that a lot and not to like be mean about it, but you know, my 17 year old daughter comes home from high school and talks about the fact that, you know, uh, there's a kid and you know, he's totally awful or she's totally awful. And, you know, I always try and talk to her, you know, talk her th- or through that with her to say like, look mm-hmm. at you, you have no idea what, what this young person believes about themselves or the environment that they live in or what they experienced before they walked out the door that morning. And so mm-hmm. often there is such a deep sense of dissatisfaction in people that then they just treat everybody else so horribly. And so, you know, it, it, again, then it's up to us to like to, to reinforce that within ourselves and then to go out into the world and to try and help other people as lovingly and respectfully as possible to see that for themselves too, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you never know what, what is going on in people's own lives. And, you know, I think, um, the, uh, the other thing is that a lot of people are raised. So we're, we're, if we go back to just this, this, um, the gender challenge and, and, and race discrimination, people of color, um, there's also like these mindsets that people have been raised in and it's really hard to break that. I saw that when I was um, teaching. So the first time we moved abroad was to the Dominican Republic and I was teaching high school language arts. This was like a lifetime ago. It was a long time ago. (laughs) Um, I was really young and I'd never taught before. And um, I had the the greatest students. I mean, they were really wonderful kids. And, um, but the culture culturally is just a very racist country. I mean, Mm. to the depths that I've never experienced before in my life. And um, the, the, I developed an empathy for just meeting people where they're at and um, loving them through things that I disagree with. Um, and, you know, in a teacher-student relationship, you kind of have to do that. But I think a lot of times we tend to shy away from, again, conversations with people who have differing viewpoints because we just assume that they're bad people because they don't agree with us or, or like, how dare you as a white man feel discriminated against? Like, come on. You know, we have this perspective that doesn't really consider the full person. It doesn't open up a conversation that um, brings together different viewpoints. Cause that's the only way that change occurs 
it doesn't occur by shutting people out. Yep. Yep. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Just, yes. I, I, I wish that we could just go on and on for days and that people would be convinced by it. And yet, um, you know, one of my favorite quotes uh, is by Gandhi and he says, you know, be the change that you want to see in the world. And I just mm-hmm. hope and pray that as we are out in the workplace, as we are out in the community, as we're raising children, that, you know, we're living by that mantra that, you know, we, it, it's just going to be one at a time, right? I mean, that, that, that's Malcolm Gladwell's, you know, big point in the tipping point is like, you know, one by one, we can eventually create this tipping point, but it's, but it's got to take a willingness for us to want to do that. And so I I really do just see, I see a lot of great things happening and I see a lot of opportunity there. Um, So on the topic of uh, equality, and, uh, and value and worth. Uh, I want to pivot a tiny bit uh, because uh, of somebody that I had on recently. And I know this is going to relate to you a little bit too in a different way, which is going to be so fantastic. So uh, one of my best friends uh, is a, uh, a stay-at-home mom. I don't even like to use that word, but she's a mom that stays at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's married to one of my very best friends who is a, a co-pastor in the church that I pastor and um, they have 10 kids, uh, six biological, four adopted children. Uh, those four adopted children particularly have some very unique needs, uh, each one of them in, in varying degrees. And man, I mean, that woman, is, like she crushes it. She absolutely crushes it. And if you haven't uh, listened to that podcast episode, Um, By the time you listen to this one, go back uh, because uh, I challenge people there to say that she probably runs her household better than most people run their businesses. And I confidently believe that, not just because she's my friend. But one of the things that we talked about was this idea of, you know, women that stay home and Mm -hmm. that they're looked at as not uh, not having a job or uh, we, we find all these like you know, interesting ways to define what they do. And we try and like tiptoe around the fact that, that they're there. And um, so we talked about that to some degree and, and, and valuing that. And I love the fact that she was just like, no, I, I stay at home and, and that's good. <laughs> and and, and that's, that's where my worth and value is. Um, or, you know, I have the same worth and value, you know, regardless of that fact. Um, so um, you shared with me offline uh, that your husband is a stay-at-home dad. And so I'm sure as those words came out of my mouth, uh, that just, somebody heard that. I hope not listening to this, you know, my audience, but I'm sure there's somebody that heard that and was like, eh, like, that's weird. Or that like, what? And so share with me a little bit about that dynamic because I have a feeling I'm going to really love where it goes based upon what I know about you already. But yeah, why don't you share a little bit about that? So when was that decision made? What does that look like? And how have you guys together, and then maybe even he, you can speak on his behalf for him. Um, how, how, how have you guys stepped through that? Yeah, so I did listen to the episode that you mentioned, by the way, and um, I think she's a rock star. Her 30-minute increments of her day, I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Um, yeah, she sounds amazing. Um, so my husband started home about five and a half years ago. He was a teacher. Um, and he, at the time he was working as a, I think he was an assistant teacher, um, because we had just moved back to Idaho. And so that was the job he could get right away. 
um, we'd, I had been in grad school and so we'd moved back to Boise and surprise, we were pregnant. Um, I was still <laughs> in graduate school. Um, and for about the, fir for the first five months of my daughter's life, now to back up, six months into dating, my husband told me that his dream was to be a stay-at-home dad. And I was like, whatever, that is not happening. Ah! <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, at least you were honest. That was good. <laughs> yeah, and so it was like this running joke in our relationship that he was going to be a stay-at-home dad. And oh. um, my mom was a stay-at-home mom, so I'll say that. And um, so we were five months into my daughter's life and we were just, and we had a nanny. So it wasn't like we dropped her off at daycare and she, it was a part-time nanny because my work schedule was kind of flexible. And so we were working around that. Um, and um, it was awful. I mean, we loved being a young family. We loved it, but every time he came home, it was get dinner made, wash the diapers, do the laundry all the things. And then we just like would collapse into bed and we'd get no time together. We were so, we were just really craving time together. And, um, on the other side of that with what we were paying the nanny and, um, the potential with my business, we just, it didn't make fiscal sense really for him to go to work unless he really wanted to. And he didn't really want to, um, the job he was working at was fine, but it wasn't, no, he already exciting. told you he wanted to stay at home. He wanted to be a stay-at-home dad. Now, compound that with he's an amazing cook. He taught first grade, so and younger, and then he worked in kindergarten for a long time as well. So he's just great with children. He has a master's in teaching reading, um, and so he's just kind of geared toward that. I mean, he's good at it, mm -hmm. and um, I think I'm a good mom. I try really hard, but I don't cook, and I don't. Um, it's hard for me to spend a full day just doing kind of domestic stuff. It's just not wired within me. Um, and my husband, he's, he's really good at it. Now we do have to hire a cleaner cause it's not really his area. Um, but other than that, he's great at all the other things. And, um, so for us, it's enabled us to have a totally flexible life and it's enabled us to be able to move to Thailand and it's allowed me to be able to pursue my goals and dreams in my business and travel because I do travel a fair bit. Um, and he gets to ride his bike. So he, he races his bike uh, bicycle and um, he's very into that. He gets up at four almost every day and goes on a ride and gets home at 720 and showers and takes the kids to school or takes my daughter to school. Um, and um, so, yeah, he's, he's just, kind of made his own way. It's not like a stay-at-home mom has this big community typically. And mm -hmm. I know he would be welcome, but it's still like a little weird to be the only dad at the playtime. And, you know, all the moms are kind of talking about their lives and it's just not, you know, yeah. it's a little challenging there. Um, but for our family, I mean, we just get so much time together. I mean, it's so awesome. We get, I get to see my son, our son, um, during the day, give him hugs when I take breaks. Um, we get, you know, oftentimes to go pick up our daughter from school together. And we've, we live a very, I don't know anybody who lives the type of life we do. Not that they don't have a stay at home dad or that they don't have a, you know, like certain things that are similar, but I have not met anybody who has exactly our kind of structure of 
living abroad, dad stays home, mom goes and travel, you know, like that is just unique. So we're kind of charting our own way. Um, but it's been, it's been pretty awesome. I, I feel even last night we were talking after our son finally went to bed, um, which has been a struggle in itself. <laughs> and um, with just that there's times when we have to just kind of check in, especially being where we are right now in a place where there's so much poverty and pain um, mm-hmm. in, in Thailand, which is a wonderful place, but it's a developing country. And to just like, sometimes we just look at our life and we're like, how did we get so fortunate? I mean, I know we worked hard, but we also got some, we got dealt some good cards too. Mm -hmm. And um, I think what's allowed us as a family to just kind of get to where we are right now is that we had a vision of exactly the kind of life we wanted. And two people, me and my husband, are willing to do different roles Mm -hmm. to get there. You know, yeah. So, I, I, I'm, I'm positive that there are so many challenges to living abroad, particularly yes. in Thailand. Um, yes, for sure. And and yet, I would venture to say, uh, big assumption that typically they or no, they can tend to blow up in my face sometimes. But um, I would, I would tend to believe that if that same dynamic existed, you and your husband in the roles that you're playing. Um, if it existed in, here in, in, in the United States, that he would probably face, he, he could potentially face a lot more challenge in the sense of particularly again here, um, actually maybe there too, but a, a man's, oftentimes a man's worth and value is, is built upon the role that he plays in the business community, um, mm-hmm. his position, his title, his income. And so do you, I guess one question would be, do you, do you feel like that's the case? That's, that's true. And then at the same time, whether or not it's here or there, has he, and again, you're speaking for him, but has he experienced some of that struggle, even though he half jokingly said to you, like, I want to stay at home uh, with having to kind of fight against some of that himself? You know, it's interesting. My husband is a very unique person and he does not care what anybody thinks. Like he truly, there's been times that I've just, you know, checking in like, oh, how did you feel being at that, you know, get together with our friends? And I was over talking with the dads about work and you were over chatting with the moms about, you know, whatever. And, um, and that's not always what happens, but it does sometimes happen. <laughs> right. And he was like, yeah, it's kind of weird sometimes. Like, I don't really have a lot to talk about unless they race their bikes or ride their bikes. Um, but he just like, he's never cared. He's never been one that um, cares what people think at all. Um, I mean, not like he doesn't have, he, doesn't, he cares about other people and he cares sure. to make people feel cared about. But his, other people's judgments on him have, I don't know. He just doesn't have that, that whatever it is that most of us have. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's made it really nice because he has nothing to prove. Like he just doesn't. And I think he's a really great example in my mind of really like how anybody should be with the way that they kind of show up in the world. He's just kind of unapologetically who he is. I think a lot of what keeps him grounded is that he rides his bike so much and he's uh, very fit, very healthy. He eats really well. He's just really driven by being kind of the 
best, like in the best shape and in the best, like, I I guess just training for things. And so that keeps him occupied and he has people that he talks to about cycling on, you know, in person and on WhatsApp and he has like groups that he's in and um, that are actual real people that he knows in real life. And um, (laughs) just to be clear, um, and, um, but he's, he's just, he just doesn't care. And he's like, I don't know. He just doesn't care. And I think it's really cool. I I really admire that about him. Yeah. First of all, I mean, that is amazing. Um, (laughs) Not, not the stay at home dad part. um, But I I don't know that I could do that because as much as I want to say that I don't care what other people think that, that is definitely a hard struggle. And I think that that, you know, I'm very, um, and again, I fought against this. I've gotten a lot better, but I'm very proud of, you know, the work I do and what I do. And I'm not saying he's not right. I'm just, I'm saying that like, um, you know, being in that, in that, in that environment, I think would be really challenging for me. So yeah, I'm sure that that is just a testament to who he is. And I'm sure that there's a big part of like, he loves his wife a whole lot and he's willing to support her in what she does, which just is a testament to like being on the same page, right? Like, I mean, he, he's willing to, um, not even put himself aside, but he's willing to just put his focus into what I would say is the responsibility of, uh, a spouse in a relationship, but a husband to a wife is like, he is committed to, the, the very best for you. And, and likewise, I'm sure you are for him. And so I think that that I'm, sh- I'm sure that's what helps it works, which then becomes a great example for your kids. Like, you know, don't, don't let the world tell you, um, you know, how to live your life. You know, you, you focus on what's right and everything else will fall into place as it goes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's, yeah, it's, it's absolutely true. And to be fair, he sacrifices a lot um, for the life that we, that we have um, a good example is right after we moved to Thailand. So we've only been here since last September. So he spent, or uh, actually July, sorry. But um, so it's been about eight months. So he spent the first four years in Boise, Idaho, which is like not, people don't really do this. Like there really aren't stay-at-home dads there. There are, but it's mostly, you know, the other way around. Yes. Um, and when we moved here, you know, I had, I, he calculated, I was traveling about 25% of the time internationally, not wow. domestically. And, um, there was times that, you know, both of the kids were sick and I was gone for three weeks and, you know, things like that. And, um, so he makes a lot of sacrifices. I have to acknowledge that piece of it. Um, I often think that it would be very challenging if we were both like me, it would make our, <laughs> it would make for a challenging life, I think. So we've, we found people that balance, you know, balance that piece of it. Yeah. 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 No. So I relate to you, Ryan, a lot in that, um, I get, I deeply love my work. Like I really, really love my work and I get a lot of personal value and satisfaction from that work and it's, and you do too. Oh, yeah. I mean, no, absolutely. Well, what I appreciate, you know, about uh, being able to see you as you share your story, um, but, you know, and, and a lot of very challenging topics is how you communicate what you're communicating. Um, you know, again, when we're talking about topics like this, issues of gender and race, uh, they're very charged and mm-hmm. it, it, and they harden our hearts, right? Particularly when you are a woman and, and you are fighting for, uh, you know, some very basic rights of women. And so it can, it can very easily anger. And so I just, I really appreciate 
the fact that you do it with such joy, not from a place of like being vindictive, but really a place of a desire to see things to grow and to change. And so it's just fantastic to be able to see that in you. And, uh, and I'm sure that there are great things on the horizon for you as it relates to continuing to progress this movement, um, you know, if you want to call it that. Thanks, Ryan. I appreciate that a lot. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, so as we wrap, uh, I know we talked about there was a couple of things coming up. Uh, you are going to be back here in the States. Uh, I know you said for sure at least once, but probably twice. Uh, and it's going to be uh, in May is going to be your first conference. And so why don't you share a little bit about that just in case somebody wants to catch you when you come to the States. Yeah, thanks. So actually, we're going to be in the States for four months. We just decided because I was going to have to be gone for a month. And Hmm. my husband was like, no, we're not doing that. So we're all coming home for four months. And then we're going to Portugal after that um, and moving to Portugal. Um, And uh, but while I'm home, we are delivering my next level women leaders team is delivering a training in Boise in May. So May 15th through 16th. We at the moment have a couple of spots left. But if when your listeners check it out, if we're not, if we're full, um, we will do one in the fall as well. And we're nailing down the dates and location for that as, as, as we speak. Yeah. Are you going to, are you going to let everybody know where you think that's going to be? Um, I, it'll possibly be in Seattle. We'll see. We went there last time and it was really, really wonderful. We were a great venue, great group. Um, and yeah, so our training, I, I really, I'm really proud of it. I think it's really transformative for, for women. So if you're a woman, period, you're a leader. If you're a man, you're a leader as well. But if you're a woman leader, which means you're just a woman um, of some, you know, some stay-at-home mom or in the workplace, um, this is a really meaningful way to spend two days of your life. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and I would really encourage, like, I, I think that would be a fantastic event or opportunity for a man to go sit through. Um, mm-hmm. Gosh, that even sounded terrible saying that. Like to, to go participate in, right? Like, I mean, it, we need to uh, immerse ourselves into these things ourselves. I mean, it, you know, in in order not just to experience what's being shared and said and the challenges, but to mm-hmm. learn and grow ourselves, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. We had a male photographer at one of our trainings, and. He, he was very respectful um, and uh, he just was, his like, I feel like his mind was like blown. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I had no idea that all this, you guys deal with all this stuff. Um, so yeah, I think it would, it would make it a little disruptive to have a, a man just kind of sitting watching, but I wish that, in, you know, that, that could work. Um, so oh, so not should, yet. Should, no, no men yet. No men yet. I would actually love to deliver it to men. I think they would get just as much value. We'd have to change some things, but um, I should give the URL for that. So it's nextlevelwomenleaders.com. Nextlevelwomenleaders.com. And I will, to make, yeah. I will make sure to put that in the show notes. Uh, and you. then I, I know you got something else coming up and it, it's a little bit uh, farther out into the future. But uh, so I think everybody is an author nowadays. It's become yeah. uh, a, a people's business card. Um, that I hope that makes you as a real author cringe because I just, it drives me nuts to see how much junk is being put out right now for the sake of being able to say I'm an author. Um, but if people want to do it right, they have an opportunity to work directly with you, right? In in a group coaching environment. 
Yeah, I'm really excited. In the fall, I will be launching Business Book School. And so that is going to be a live training that I deliver to a group of people who want to write a business book. It could also be a nonfiction of almost any, any type of nonfiction book um, or a how-to book. So um, I'm going to be taking a group through a live a live training course. Um, I haven't launched it yet. So you can either sign up at my website for my newsletter, stacyennis.com. I don't email very much just when it's meaningful, um, but I'll be able to let you know about that when, when it's ready to launch. Awesome. I'm looking forward to that because yeah, like I said, I think that we need some more uh, good work getting out and not just the, a lot of the garbage that's, that's gone out lately. Absolutely agree with you. I cannot, I, I don't know why you would write a book if it wasn't going to be something that you are proud of and really feel like you put your heart into it and it tells what you want. It says what you want to say. So it's focused not just on getting a book done because you can go sign up for a 30 day book writing thing and bust out a book and, you know, do that. This is actually about writing a really good book, a really strong book that you're really, really proud of. Which is the only way we should do anything. Yes, particularly absolutely. if you're excellence, right? Yes, that is it. Yeah. The best or not at all. That's that's yeah. what I say. Well, Stacy, you have been a wonderful conversation. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate it. Like I said, it's going to sound so silly to say, but. Uh, I didn't think that this conversation would happen only because I figured you were, again, a real author uh, doing uh, media all over the place, you know, whatever, you know, gets put into people's minds. And, and yet you were just so kind and so considerate of, uh, of me and uh, giving me an opportunity to, you know, just to have this conversation with you. I think more conversations like this need to happen. I love the fact that it went in the direction that it did, even mm-hmm. though we could have talked more about the book and leadership and raising brave children, which we didn't get to. But if you're listening, I'm going to put uh, Stacy's TED Talk in the show notes too. I cannot recommend that enough. I, and, and you don't have to be a parent. I think that it, it just, it, it goes across all generations, all genders. Uh, there's just, there's a lot there to learn. So just thank you again so much. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate the time that you shared today. It's such a pleasure. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks for having me. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, as always, uh, as I've shared uh, uh, over the duration of the podcast today, I will make sure to put uh, Stacy's contact information into the show notes, including website, uh, links to both uh, the women's conference coming up, as well as the books, uh, the group coaching for uh, the book writing, uh, her TED Talk, and uh, we'll see if we can uh, stick something else in there. And uh, if you want a copy of Growing Influence and you reach out to me directly, I am going to give the first five people that reach out to me a copy of Growing Influence, my gift to you, not just because Stacy's on the podcast, but because it is a fantastic book around growing influence, becoming a better leader, which we need so many more of today. So I hope you enjoyed today. I appreciate the time you sharing with me, with us to learn a little bit more. Uh, So take care. Have a great week. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Excellence Mindset with Ryan James Miller. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe. And for more great content and to stay up to date, visit ryanjamesmiller.com. We'll catch you next time.